Father, I pray that you use me, uh, help me. I most certainly need that. Uh, Lord, we love you tonight. I pray that you help us to love you genuinely tonight. Lord, we do love you. We thank you, and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Second uh, Kings 25 tonight. Second Kings 25. Uh, if you've been paying attention, and I think you have, uh, you realize that we come to the end of the book tonight. Uh, Mike, the book ends uh, pretty abruptly, uh, we'll see tonight, but uh, it ends exactly where the Lord would have it to end uh, with uh, essentially uh, the destruction uh, of Judah following the destruction of Israel to the north. Um, we see a, a little bit of a, a thread of positivity and blessing in the last several verses, uh, but it's, it's a dark place overall uh, at this point in history uh, for Israel, uh, who went into captivity 722 B.C. Uh, and now um, uh, 586 B.C., but really uh, over the 20-year period, roughly 20 years leading up to the uh, the final conquest of Judah uh, by the Babylonians, 586 B.C. They've been warring against Judah, generally Jerusalem specifically, Brother Ray, and um, it's, it's a final blow uh, that we see here tonight. Now, I want you to be thinking about this. Um, one of our themes over the last year and longer has been sin has consequences, right? It, it certainly does. Um, all the way back in Deuteronomy 28, I've mentioned this a number of times, I don't, so hopefully I call on you, say yes, Deuteronomy 28, pastors, where the Lord really first warned or very clearly warned uh, Israel and Judah about uh, the consequences, Brother Ray, for sin, especially the sin of adultery, uh, there'll be great consequences, and of course the Lord has used various other prophets to warn the people uh, in the many years between Deuteronomy 28 and 722 B.C., 586 B.C., uh, used many uh, to warn the people, hey, repent, just uh, turn from your sin and look to the Lord for strength to uh, re return uh, to him. But rich, they've, they've really allowed themselves to be overcome by um, idolatry and a variety of other sins that just go along with their idolatry so so very well just terrible wickedness uh, and so we see tonight the the final blow um, against judah uh, zach the lord will uh, allow jerusalem to be conquered jerusalem is essentially destroyed uh tonight uh why what is is the lord just angry or is there more to it yeah He's angry at their sin, for sure, uh, but we understand he, he's a God who loves his people enough to correct them, and Mike, that's, he's pouring out uh, judgment uh, that is loving correction. And uh, We know in the case of Judah that some of the people, there's a remnant that returns, right? Um, the Persian, Medo-Persians will rise up eventually. Uh, and put down the Babylonians, and a decree will be issued as was prophesied that would allow uh, not everyone, but a remnant uh, of the Judeans to return uh, back to Judah. I want to ask you this question, though, tonight. Um, were things ever really the same after they got back? Really, they weren't, Mike. The things were really never the same. You think about this also. Um, while a remnant was permitted by the Lord eventually to return uh, to Jerusalem, 
while the walls re rebuilt, while there was a degree of restoration of Jerusalem, things were really never the same. Um, think about this. Between that time, Brother Ray, um, all the way up to 1948, there was not an independent Israel. There were people in the land, but there was not a free, independent Israel identifiable as a free, independent nation uh, through, through that 2,500 or so years. You have, you have a thought. Well, I do believe that there was such a positive correction that occurred. Oh, amen. Amen. I, I absolutely agree. There, there was some positive correction, and I, we'll, see, um, we'll see at least a hint of that here toward the end of, of chapter 25 tonight. Uh, there's, there's a strong suggestion that that, that uh, king, uh, you'll see, final king, um, legitimate king, uh, it seems like he's being blessed, and if he's being blessed, there must have been some correction, some repentance. We'll, we'll see that. So in which we know um, you know, there, there was revival when the people returned. So there, there was a repentant remnant who returned, and, and the Lord blessed them. And, and you can see throughout history there, there was a degree of correction that's been sustained. Um, that said, you look at Israel today, there's, it's, it's Jewish. Mike was pretty secular. Um, there, there's um, various flavors of, of Brother Ray Judaism, e even some very uh, conservative Judaism, but it's pretty pharisaical, it's very legalistic, it still rejects the Messiah, uh, and the nation of Israel is very secular today. It's basically a Western country in many ways today. Um, and so it's never been the same. Um, there is now today um, a free independent Israel, but it's one that's continued to be under attack. We know that. Um, is there a time coming, I know you know the answer, uh, when, when there will be a restoration of the way things should be in Jerusalem, throughout the land, and then throughout the world? Yes, there, that's the millennium, right? The uh, Lord will, will uh, issue forth a final dose of correction in the tribulation period, Brother, Brother Ray. Remember the, the, um, the captivity of 722-586, I, I really think we could view them as sort of foreshadowing of the tribulation period. Uh, great difficulty with great intentions on the Lord's part. Tribulation would be just another example. Well, it would be the ultimate final example of that, of course. But we know that following that, the Lord will return, deal with his enemies once and for all, and restore uh, the land uh, and the world to that which he desires. And finally, then, uh, Israel will be what the Lord has always intended it to be. Mike, it, it really hasn't ever been that. Uh, as long as there's been a nation, it's really never been what, what God, you can challenge me on that, but I think that's right, really never been what the Lord desires it to be, but he has used it despite its sin, um, but it, it will be perfected in the millennium, and so that, that's where all of this is heading. Um, yep, consequence for sin, we'll, we'll see it tonight, but um, it's not, as much as this is the last chapter of this book, and Brother Ray, it looks like it's the last chapter for Judah. It's not. It's not. The people, a remnant returns, 
there's a degree of revival and there's an ultimate revival still to come. So uh, it's not, uh, and because of Christ, let's say, uh, because it's true, <laughs> let's say because of Christ, uh, this is most certainly not the last chapter. I'm going to pray again, and we're going to jump right in here. Second uh, Kings 25, verse 1. Father, thank you for this book, uh, for the privilege to study through the history of both Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Uh, Father, to see the blessings that you've meted out for um, obedience, uh, the good kings uh, who were blessed um, in the south, uh, and the bad kings in the north and some in the south who, uh, Lord, suffered uh, correction, uh, Father, because of their disobedience. Lord, I pray tonight that um, we get a hold of the history and we remember, remember where this is all driving in the future and made possible because of the cross. But, Father, to remember the principles we've seen uh, and their applicability to our individual personal lives even today. Uh, Lord, help us to be obedient, that we might uh, bring you honor and glory. Uh, and know your blessings, which bring you honor and glory. Lord, I thank you tonight that you give us a heart to obey. Lord, please give us a heart to obey. Help us to die to self and to live for our Savior and to look to you for grace to do that. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Mike, I think that's enough of an introduction. Let's jump in. Uh, 2 Kings 25, uh, verse 1, Jerusalem is just besieged. Uh, the Babylonians, also called the Chaldeans, you'll see, you remember that, uh, they have encircled Jerusalem for an extended period of time, and basically they, they, they have like a land blockade against it. There's nothing in, nothing out. They're trying to uh, weaken the city by starving the people, and it's effective. It's an effective military strategy. Uh, verse 1, it came to pass on the ninth year of his reign in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, that's pretty specific, that Nebuchadnezzar, uh, king of Babylon, came, he and all his host, his army against Jerusalem and pitched against it, uh, and they built forts uh, against it round about. So they encamped themselves around the city, uh, literally built forts. They're, they're, they're dug in for a time. They're, uh, again, their strategy is to weaken the city by preventing uh, goods, primarily food, from getting in. Uh, they won't be able to trade. They'll not be able to get some of the things they need. Uh, this would weaken the people. It would weaken their defenses, Brother Ray, until such time that Babylonians could take Jerusalem with relative ease. That is eventually, at least, uh, exactly what happened. Verse 2, the city was besieged uh, unto the 11th year of King Zedekiah. Uh, he's the last king of Judah. He's appointed by uh, Nebuchadnezzar after Jehoiakim's capture. Uh, you remember that he has uh, rebelled against Babylon. So Zedekiah uh, has rebelled against Babylon. That's really uh, what seems to have led to this siege. He's, he grows weary of being sort of this uh, puppet, uh, making Judah sort of a vassal state for Babylon. So this is not God's plan, not God's intention. Uh, he rebels. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's not having it, Mike. He's, he's going to take Jerusalem uh, once and for all. 586 will be that time. So uh, Zedekiah, he's been uh, captured by the Babylon Babylonians, taken to Babylon. He dies there. Um, that's not a good end, 
but it, it is the end nonetheless. Uh, verse 3, and on the ninth day of the fourth month, famine, famine prevailed. So again, this would seem to be the strategy of the Babylonians. Famine prevailed in the city. There was no bread uh, for the people of the land. Mike, people look at this sometimes and say, but where's God in this? Where, where is he? Well, he's pouring correction, uh, very difficult, very harsh correction into Jerusalem uh, after so many warnings. The Lord has warned and warned and warned, uh, again, all the way back to uh, Moses uh, in Deuteronomy and the many prophets who have uh, attempted to intervene uh, in, in the following years. The Lord has been warning and warning, Brother Ray, and now he's correcting. He's, uh, he's got his hand upon the timeline of history and, and, and he's meeting out the correction that the people need. Uh, verse four, the city was broken up and all the men of war fled by night uh, by the way of the gate between two walls. Seems like there are some, uh, Judah has some troops there in the city. Uh, they see the fall of Jerusalem is imminent and so they escape uh, through some gate, through the back door, Mike, um, which is by the king's garden. Uh, now the Chaldeans, again, another name for the Babylonians, were against the city roundabout. The king uh, went toward, went the way toward uh, the plain. So um, Zedekiah uh, escapes. Uh, Zedekiah escapes uh, together with some of his troops. Uh, the Babylonians are knocking on the front door. They escape out the back door, Brother Ray. Uh, doesn't seem very courageous. It seems a little bit cowardly. Uh, nonetheless, this is the case. Now, remember these troops, these men that fled by night. Uh, I think it's these same men who show up again back in Jerusalem a little bit down the road uh, after Nebuchadnezzar has conquered the city uh, and set up another puppet, there's some men that return. And I think it's probably these same men uh, who return and uh, try to maybe spark a, a, a revolt against the Babylonians. Uh, we'll, we'll see that. Uh, verse uh, 6, well, I'll go back to verse 5. The army of the Chaldeans, uh, the Chaldees. Who are the Chaldees, Zach? Babylonians, thank you, sir. Pursued after the king, overtook him in the plains of Jericho, uh, the vicinity of Jericho and the Jordan River Valley, no doubt. All of his army were scattered from him. So he gets separated from the, the men who escaped with him. Uh, he's taken uh, to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, of course, not going to be part of the siege of Jerusalem. He's encamped back at a distance as a general might be. He's the king. He's not back home, but he's encamped at a safe distance behind the front line. Uh, they took the king, verse 6, uh, Zedekiah brought him uh, up to the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, to Riblah. That's where he's established camp. They gave judgment upon him. Uh, he's judged. He's, he's found guilty. Uh, he's revolted against Nebuchadnezzar, uh, and so he's found guilty, probably a bogus trials act, but I guess he'd be guilty of revolting against Nebuchadnezzar. That much is true. Uh, and his sentence is, is meted out. It's a, it's a terrible sentence. You, you probably remember it. Uh, he's forced to watch his sons be executed, uh, and then his eyes are gouged out. Uh, probably 
um, probably the idea is that the, they wanted that to be the last thing he would see. So they, they execute his sons right in front of his eyes, and then they gouge out his eyes. They were not happy with him. This, this is terrible punishment. Um, see verse 7, uh, they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him uh, with fetters of brass and carried him to Babylon. So, yeah, terrible uh, you know, kind of bogus trial, terrible um, sentence uh, that's meted out. And then he's dragged off from this sort of field base where Nebuchadnezzar is back to Babylon. Of course, that was the sort of the protocol of the Babylonians. They would, they would take a people from the land that was conquered and then kind of back home or spread them out to other parts uh, of their empire. And this was probably a strategy more than anything else, Brother Ray, for kind of controlling people who were conquered. If they could take them, bring them back home or take them and kind of spread them out or sprinkle them into other parts of their empire, uh, this, this probably was, would be a way to control the people uh, while still controlling the land and benefiting from whatever resources the land had. We'll see some allusions to that idea also. Um, so um, terrible, terrible consequences for Zedekiah. Uh, this judgment, this is judgment. Uh, this is uh, the judgment of a righteous God upon a, a people who have not been righteous who have chosen to not live righteously before their God, our God. Uh, Jerusalem Falls, verse 8, in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which is the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, the secular record would put that right at about 586 B.C. Uh, how, many, how many years before 1 A.D. would that be? You, you, so you go back to 1 BC and then backwards to 586, right? So it's 586 years up until 1 AD, right? So don't, remember, that's, that's how the, the dates work. So to get back to 500 BC, how many years ago is that? It'd be 2023 plus 500. To get back to this would be another 86 years, right? So we're... We're well beyond, we're, we're beyond 2,500 years ago. Uh, that's where we are. Um, middle of verse 8, so we, we get the, the timing. King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, came uh, Nebuzar Adon, Nebuzar Adon, the captain of the guard. So this is a captain, probably think of a general in modern uh, military uh, structure. Um, one of Nebuchadnezzar's chief military men, uh, Nebuzar Adan, captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, uh, he comes uh, unto Jerusalem. So again, like this is uh, basically 20 years into Babylon's cap, uh, campaign against Judah uh, and against Israel. It goes back to about 606 BC, 20 years earlier. They've, they've been trying to subdue uh, Judah, and it's been relatively subdued at times. Uh, Zedekiah says, no, not, not going to play that game. Uh, he rebels, and Nebuchadnezzar says, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll just take Judah. And, and 20 years in uh, to their rule over the, the area, that's exactly what they do. Um, they're going to take it violently and destructively, 
um, verse 9, he burnt. So this is not Nebuchadnezzar doing this, but his man, Nebuzar Adon, verse 8, leading the charge in verse 9. Uh, he, uh, Nebuzar Adon, burnt the house of the Lord. What's that, Rich? The house of the Lord. That's the temple. Uh, and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem, all the houses, they destroyed Jerusalem. Uh, in every great man's house burnt he with fire. The city was, brother, effectively destroyed. This is great judgment. Uh, verse 8, all the army of the Chaldees, uh, the Babylonians, that were with the captain of the guard, break down the walls of Jerusalem uh, round about. Who is it that comes back with the remnant and, and rebuilds the walls? Who, who is it that, that leads that charge when, that, when they ultimately come back? will be the Ezra, the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, right? That's that's the books where where you would find that time coming back and rebuilding. Uh, you find that account Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, break down the walls, verse eight. Now the rest of the people that were left, forgive me, verse eleven. Now the rest of the people that were left in the city and, and the fugitives that uh, fell away to the king of Babylon, uh, with the remnant of the multitude, did Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard carry away. So again, that's, that's their protocol. They, they take territory and they take the people and, and march them away from the territory. Uh, some poor people uh, are left behind uh, for a economic reason, it would seem, verse 12. But the captain of the guard left the poor of the land to be what? Vine dressers and, and husbandmen. Uh, so some few powerless people are left behind uh, to care for the crops, basically, like these, these cash crops of Judah, the grapes, and no, no doubt other, other crops that were valuable could be used for trade, could be used to feed people back home in Babylon. Uh, some people are left behind to tend to these cash crops that would be valued by the Babylonians. Everybody else carried away for the most part. Uh, for the most part. Um, verse, uh, verses 13 through 17 um, chronicles or, or records the just further destruction of, of the temple, the contents of the temple, the surrounding areas. Uh, it's not fun to read, but it is important to see it for what it is, the consequence of sin after many warnings to repent. Verse 13, the pillars of brass that were in the house of the Lord, the temple, uh, and the bases and the brazen sea that was in the house of the Lord. Remember all the way back to the um, instructions that the Lord gave for the construction of the tabernacle uh, and then later on the temple. This language will sound familiar, right? Uh, the brazen sea that was in the house of the Lord, did the, the Chaldees, the Babylonians, break in pieces and carried the brass of them to Babylon. Sure, that's the spoils of war. It has value. Uh, 14, the pots and the shovels and snuffers and all the spoons, uh, the instruments of worship at the temple, all the vessels of brass wherewith they ministered, took they away. Uh, Brother Ray, this, this, is, this is horrifying. The, these are the sanctified instruments of worship at the temple, the place 
of the presence of God. This is just not stuff that, you know, from a flea market. These are the instruments of worship at the temple. Verse 15, the fire pans, the bowls, and such things that were of, of gold. Uh, the Babylonians would value them as, as gold and brass and silver and so forth, but we know that they had much more value than their, uh, their economic value. Uh, such things as were of gold, in gold, silver, um, the captain of the guard uh, took away. That would be Nebuzar Adan. Uh, verse 16, the two pillars, one C and the bases, which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord. Uh, I mean, the, these are the... <laughs> These are the, the components that Solomon uh, oversaw the construction of. Uh, the brass of all these vessels was uh, without weight. What does that mean exactly? They were without weight. It must have literally had some weight to them. Uh, I think it's just the, the, the enormity of it, the amount of it. It was like so much you couldn't weigh it. It was, it was that much. The height of the one pillar was 18 cubit, 18 forearm lengths. The chapter upon it was brass, the height of the chapter three cubits. Again, this language will sound familiar from when the uh, uh, instructions for um, construction were, were given. The wreathen work, the pomegranates upon the chapter round about all of brass and like unto these had the second pillar with wreathen work. This is the temple, Brother Ray, the place where the very presence of God uh, has met with the people, uh, the place where the, the sacrifices were, were carried out to picture uh, the cross, the only way uh, that man could approach the presence of, of God. Uh, this is what's being destroyed. Mike, this is a, this is a dark day uh, in, in the history of Judah. This is a judgment of God for the f refusal of people to repent of sin. Uh, Brother Ray, we, we do well to repent of sin. When the Holy Spirit's knocking on our door, we do well, uh, we do well to not refuse that knock. Um, people are taken, uh, noble people taken and executed. Verse 18, the captain of the guard, Nebuzar Adon, uh, took uh, Sariah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three keepers of the door, uh, men who had a role at the temple. Out of the city he took an officer that was set over the men of war and five uh, men of them that were in the king's presence which were found in the city and the principal scribe of the host. These are men of power and position uh, which mustered the people of the land and three score, 20, 40, 60 men of the people of that land that were found in the city. Uh, and Nebuzar Adon, captain of the guard, took these and brought them to the king of Babylon, which is who? Nebuchadnezzar uh, to Riblah, his base camp. Uh, and the king of Babylon, what did he do? Smote them. Uh, did he personally do that? That is what it says. He either smote them or had them smitten uh, and slew them at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah was carried away out of their land. Uh, this is the land that the Lord has worked sovereignly in history to direct the people toward, uh, to direct the people into the land. He brought them uh, out of Egypt and moved them through uh, the, the wilderness uh, toward the land. I understand there were many problems then as well, 
but the Lord has, has worked so hard to form this nation uh, and to bring these people into this land. By the way, what, what, what were some of the Lord's purposes for forming that nation? What will be some of his purposes? Remember, it didn't start out as two kingdoms. It started out as one united, unified kingdom, all the tribes together. What would be, what would be a one great purpose the Lord had for uh, forming Israel as a nation? Can you think of one? Well, it's, it's been his witness to the world. Certainly, it's been that. It's existed to honor and glorify and, and to worship him. Zach, so I think an important person came down through that nation also, right? That would be the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah of those people uh, in that nation. Certainly, the Lord has had great purposes for this nation, uh, including bringing Christ uh, through, through these, these people. Um, and now he is allowing it to be ravaged and disassembled and nothing short of destroyed. Mike, you have to just look at that and say, wow, the Lord really does uh, have a great wrath at sin. He would unravel this thing that he has loved so much and has been the object and desire of his heart and his attention uh, and the people through the nation through whom he's been working uh, this, is, this is a profound wrath at sin, and that's, that's the wrath God has at sin. This is, this is the consequence of sin uh, being painted out uh, for people of that day to see and inscripturated in the word of God for people every day since then uh, to see uh, and to benefit from. Zach, what verse did we leave off at? Oh, oh, 22, uh, 22. Um, there's going to be some people left behind to care for uh, the crops, and they're going to need somebody to watch over them. And, and Brother Ray, if it can be somebody that they know, um, they have a relationship with, maybe that's a good thing. He'll be able to control them. Uh, there's a man here, uh, Gedaliah, uh, seems to me that he's a, a, a man of Judah who becomes a traitor to Judah. He uh, is chosen of, of um, the Chaldeans, Nebuchadnezzar, at, at all, uh, to kind of stay behind and be a, a, sort of a local governor of sorts. Uh, member, of course, that the Roman Empire had quite a structure also where they had um, they had local governors who would oversee uh, I individual territories like, like you would expect in a very geographically large uh, empire. Babylonian Empire was becoming quite large. They needed, they needed local people uh, to, to control it. If it could be someone who might be respected by whatever local people were left behind, that seemed like a good idea. They have their man Gedaliah. Gedaliah seems to be a traitor. Uh, seems to be a traitor. Verse 22, as for the people that remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, had left, even over them he made Gedaliah, the son of uh, Ahikam, uh, the son of uh, Shaphan, ruler. So this, this man Gedaliah looks like he's a traitor to me. Uh, maybe, maybe he's simply been threatened into this position, but he's probably been both threatened and promised uh, certain, um, certain promises no doubt been made to him 
uh, if, if he'll watch over the people who've been left behind to oversee the interests uh, of the Babylonians. Now in verse 23, um, remember before us, if you look back at verse four, uh, the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between two walls. Uh, some, some men show up again in verse 23, Brother Ray, and I, I think it's probably the men that fled through that sort of mysterious gate, the back door, if you will, in verse 4. They probably have been watching from afar at what is happening. Uh, they maybe have their spies. They learn that Gedaliah is kind of left man in charge, and they go back. They go back and see if they can uh, build some inroads to him. Maybe they're thinking uh, that they can put together a rebellion. Uh, uh, of course, the Maccabees had their rebellion against the Romans, right? So there's precedent, not historical to this time, but future precedent, if you will. It's probably a different word than precedent, but... Uh, people who are under the oppression of an occupying force, Rich, they think about rebellion, right? We Americans understand that. We, we understand that idea very well. In verse 23, when all the captains of the armies, they and their men heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah governor, uh, there came to Gedaliah to Mizpah, even Ishmael, Ishmael the son of Nathaniel, uh, and Johanan, the son of Kareah, and Sariah, the son of Tanhumeth, uh, the Natophathite, and Jaazaniah, the son of Maakathite, they and their men. Is it the same men as verse 4? I don't know for sure, but certainly it could be. Verse 9, that's the wrong place. Uh, Verse 24, is that where we are? Verse 24, uh, and Gedaliah sware to them and to their men and said unto them, fear not, uh, to be the servants of, of the Chaldees. So they come back probably looking to stir up trouble for the Babylonians, but Mr. Gedaliah says, hey, uh, don't, don't stir up any trouble. You don't have to fear. Just uh, you know, kind of come back, settle in, come under my authority. Uh, I'm okay, you'll be okay too. Just uh, kind of come and, 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 and just fit in, don't, don't, don't stir up any trouble, everything's fine. Well, of course, it's not fine, but uh, Mr. Gedaliah has found his place in all of the um, horrible situation. Fear not to be the servants of the Chaldees. Dwell in the land uh, and serve the king of Babylon. It shall be well with you. If you do that, uh, everything will be just fine. Well, maybe, maybe it would have been. Um, but it, uh, it doesn't go well for Gedaliah in this context. Verse 25, it came to pass in the seventh month that uh, the, same, the same men, Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, the son of Elishama, of the, of the seed royal, came, uh, ten men with him, and smote. What does that mean, Rich? Gedaliah. They killed him. They smote him that he died. Uh, and the Jews uh, and the Chaldees that were with him uh, at Mizpah. So uh, he's a traitor to the people of Judah. Uh, some of these people of Judah come back and um, try to, I think they probably try to call him back to um, uh, a place of, of loyalty to the people of Judah. It didn't go well, Brother Ray, and uh, Mr. Gadaliah got himself killed. 
um, he, the puppet governor uh, is killed. Um, the men who are involved in that, Mike, I think they, they get scared. <laughs> they get scared. They, they no doubt begin to think, well, uh, there, there's some, some, some Chaldees, some Babylonians who are here who, who probably saw this, and it might not go well for us. And so what, what do they do? They're, they're fearful. What are some things that you can do when you're afraid? Uh, when you were a kid, Zach, and you probably thought you were in trouble with dad, what, what could you do? You, you try to hide, right? You try to get out of sight. That'd be one thing, right? Um, by the way, that's, that's something that we do naturally, not just as children, but throughout our lives. Um, if, if you will allow fear to rule and reign in your heart, there is a very natural tendency to want to hide uh, from each other, um, sometimes not coming to church uh, from the Lord. Of course, we can't hide from the Lord, brother Ray, but we can withdraw from him in our, in our relationship with him. We can, we can pull back, uh, not spending time in the word of God, uh, not praying, not serving. Uh, there's a natural tendency when we're afraid to, to draw back. And of course, that's exactly what these men do. They're, they're afraid. Uh, they can't see any remedy uh, for their situation where, you know, they're probably next in line to be executed by the Babylonians, and so they run. Uh, verse 26, all the people, both small and great, the captains of the armies who rose, came to Egypt. Uh, what, what is, read the last part of verse 26 with me, please. For they were afraid uh, of the Chaldees. Now, that's not irrational. That's, that's a rational concern, uh, certainly. But uh, Zach, is there anything else they could have done? Uh, maybe, maybe it was very rational to, to flee away from them. That, that might have been a very rational thing to do, but um, that's practical. Is there anything else that they could have done? That's always my answer, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if you... If you need to flee away rationally. Um, Joseph fled away with Mary and baby Jesus, right? Very rationally. Uh, sometimes, Brother Ray, you need to do that, right? Go down, go down to Egypt. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. There, there could have been prayer. There, there could have been prayer, and certainly there should have been. Um, fear not dealt with. Uh, spiritually and biblically, um, it leads to flight. Sometimes a flight that is not the Lord's will and, and really not very rational at all. Lord, help us to deal with our worry, anxiety, and fear biblically by bringing it to you in prayer and giving it over to you with thanksgiving and trusting you to bless us with that peace that you have promised, uh, Philippians 4. Um, it seems like in the next, so we're almost to the end of the chapter, but um, it seems like between verse 26 and verse 27, there might be a little bit of time that goes by because there's a new king. Uh, there's a new king in Babylon. Um, he's got an interesting name. Uh, look at verse 27. It came to pass in the seventh and thirtieth year of the captivity of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Yeah, so it's 37 years into his captivity. Um, 
in the 12th month on the 7th and 20th day of the month that evil Merodach, king of Babylon. How would you like that to be your name? That's not describing him as evil. That's his name, Mike. <laughs> his given name is evil Merodach. Um, it means, it has a literal meaning. It means the man or soldier of Merodach who is a pagan god of Babylon. Uh, he's a man of God, if you will, but a false god. Uh, th this is the idea. This is, that would be the literal meaning of his name. Um, he's called king, so it's not his title, it's his name, uh, Evil Merodach. He's a man or soldier of Merodach, the pagan, a pagan god of, of Babylon. So it seems like Babylon has a, a new king. We're um, a number of years into the captivity, and we have a new king. Uh, he began to reign uh, toward the end of verse 27. That year that he began to reign did lift up the head of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, uh, out of prison. So there's a little bit of poetic language there. Uh, he didn't take off his head. He he lifted his head up. So, you know, picture him kind of, you know, downtrodden in prison. Uh, get new king, uh, evil Merodach, comes and lifts him up uh, out of his difficulty where he had been imprisoned there, uh, Jehoiakim. Remember, this is the second to last king. He's the son of Jehoiakim. This is Jehoiakim. Uh, he's the king who became came king at 18, uh, only reigned for three months before he surrendered to Nebuchadnezzar, who took him away to Babylon along with many of the other leaders. So that was a little ways back, Brother Ray, a little bit earlier in their campaign against Judah. Uh, he's been carried off to Babylon, his own captivity, now there's a new king, and the new king comes to him and takes him out of prison, lift, lifting him up from all of the trial and, and difficulty and horror. Mike, can you even imagine what a Babylonian prison must have been like? I, I, I can't even imagine. I'm sure it was really bad, right? It must have been really bad. Uh, I don't know if archaeology or anything else, secular history speaks to that, but I, I imagine it was a pretty bad situation. Um, uh, and so it was probably a pretty strong amount uh, or degree of correction from the Lord. I think this man was in a really, really bad place. He, he had been in a Babylonian prison, but now all of a sudden, it seems like rather than being corrected, he's being blessed. This is very interesting. Uh, new king comes, lifts him up out of prison. Verse 28, he spake kindly to him. So he's doing kindness to him, speaking kindness to him, uh, and set his throne above the throne of the kings that were with him in Babylon. So elevates him out of prison, uh, not, not just to another, the position of another captive, but a, a, a position of some uh, recognition. Uh, verse 29, changed his prison garments, gave him good uh, kingly clothing to wear, uh, and he did eat bread continually before him all the days of his life. And uh, no longer the prison food, but the good food now. 
uh, verse 30, and his allowance was a continual allowance given him of the king, a daily rate for every day, all the days of his life. He's uh, given some sort of a, an allowance, Zach, a goodly allowance for a king uh, for each and every day uh, of his life. That's the end of the book of Second Kings. Uh, Judah and Jerusalem is laying in ruins, quite literally. The vast majority of the people have been dragged off. Many have been killed. Um, but here you have this little uh, sliver <laughs> of hope uh, in the, at the end, still in Babylon. Uh, no remnant coming back yet. We know a remnant will come back. But there's a little sliver of, of positivity. What looks like blessing being restored to uh, King Jehoiakim, not Kim, that'd be three kings back, Jehoiakim, two kings back, Zedekiah is dead, uh, but he's, he's being brought out of prison and, and elevated to a place of blessing. There is no explanation offered here as to why. Why do you suppose? Why do you suppose? What would explain that? What would explain that? Do you have a, a theory? You, was that a... Go ahead. I mean, that's, that's, that's a good theory, right? Um, Judah has been warned and warned and warned and said, no, no, no. And so they've been drug, drug, drug away into the correction of, of the Lord. And suddenly, this, this former king is, is being blessed. Now, Mike, it's possible that they have a political motive, that there's you know, that kind of a thing going on. That's, that's certainly um, a possibility. But you know, this is a man who evidently has been pretty guilty in, in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, he's being blessed. Uh, he's, he's being treated far better than he ever could have expected in the Babylonian captivity. Um, there, there's a variety of possibilities here. I mean, there's, um, there's um, theories that um, this king who is called, uh, help me out, he's called Evil Merodach, might also be Belthazar. Belthazar. Uh, that's a theory that he could be the same man and Brother Ray, you, you remember that's the man for whom Daniel, who was in the captivity, interpreted that dream. Um, and there, were, there was a relationship built and blessings that came with that. And maybe as a result of that, um, Daniel had intervened. That's, that could only be a theory because the Bible doesn't say it. <laughs> the Bible doesn't. Uh, establish any of that, but all of that would be happening sort of around uh, the same time. That that's a possibility. Um, but I think. Uh, well, are are there any other thoughts, guys? Any other thoughts as to why this deposed king, who's been in prison, is suddenly being treated so wonderfully, sir? Yeah. Uh. Amen.
No and doubt. And took his hands off it. And man just reverted back to what he was. Yeah. And as generations go on, they forget what the previous generation mm -hmm. went through. And now this king came by and says, well, you know what? And I don't think the Jews were that bad. <laughs> I, I can control them. Yeah. And he took them back in power. Yeah, that could be. As, as the people of Judah forgot the lessons of prior generations, this new king may have forgotten or not had the same agenda exactly as Nebuchadnezzar had. That, that, yeah, that, that could be a factor in the equation. We forget the price that our, our forefathers paid. Oh, we certainly do. And we're willing to give it away. Yes. That is most absolutely true. Yeah, we forget the price that's been paid and we're, we're willing to cede that ground back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we could not expect anything different than that, right? Judah could not expect anything different than that. And, you know, God hasn't changed, He's not changed. And any of their people, right? Right, so if, if that nation suffered as it did for its sin, how could we as a nation today expect anything different than that? We really can't expect anything better than that. Um, anything better than what Judah suffered that we experience is just grace, right? It's grace upon grace upon grace, but um, we don't know exactly what the future holds for this nation. Um, I've observed and as well many of you have also and we've probably spoken about this before i can't see that this nation as a great power factors into prophecy around the tribulation period and armageddon we know the whole world's allied against israel so that would include whatever state the u.s is in at that time but we, there doesn't seem to be a great western power allied against anything um other than Rome, perhaps, but that's, it seems like we've been diminished. That seems to be the case. Our nation has been diminished. Um, well, that's what we deserve as a nation today. Now, I'll be positive for a minute. Um, no matter where the nation is going, individuals and individual churches can still be faithful, amen? We can, we can remain faithful. We can serve the Lord. Everyone around us doing something different. That's their decision. We can make a different decision. Uh, we can know God's blessings as, as he chooses to, to pour them out into our individual lives and in, into our assembly. Brother Ray, it's important. We never lose sight of that. We, we are probably heading into a time of, of great difficulty as a nation, um, but individuals and individual assemblies can remain faithful and know God's blessings and be used of him and, and perhaps even more greatly, being used of him even more greatly than we could anticipate. Um, when, did the, when, did the first, when did churches in the first century grow the most? It was in the face of persecution, right? It was in the face of really big, significant trials. Uh, including very, very real persecution. So uh, we don't know exactly where we're heading, um, but probably in, into um, winds of, of change and, and challenge, uh, but much good can come from that. 
Um, the tribulation period is going to be the worst time of difficulty the world has ever known, but great good is going to come from that. So uh, we do well to keep these things in mind. Um, I, I hope that my theory that uh, King Jehoiakim had had a personal revival in prison is true and that the Lord chose to bless him because of that. I can't know that for sure, but certainly um, the blessing would be consistent with that theory. Mike, a man who is convicted of the Lord that, hey, there's sin in my life, uh, if he doesn't repent and forsake it, he could expect the trial, God's correction. Thank, praise God for that. Uh, if in the face of correction, we repent and get right with the Lord, put the sin off, put obedience on its place, you could reasonably expect blessing in the place of, of trial and correction. That's just a biblical principle. We see that all the way through scripture. Um, it, that was available to Jehoiakim in his day, and that same opportunity is available to us in our day, as it always has been. Uh, praise God for that. Praise God for that. So, Zach, our, our theory that he had a, a personal revival in prison uh, could certainly be true. Um, it could certainly be true. Um, is it possible, by the way, that he might have even encountered Daniel somewhere along the way? It's possible. It's just interesting thought, interesting to think about kind of fitting these things together. You think about that. Um, let's stop there and pray. Father, thank you, uh, Lord, for... Uh, this amazing book of, well, 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Lord, the history that's recorded is incredible. Uh, Father, we thank you for this uh, inspired account of history. Uh, thank you, Lord, that um, it isn't just history. It is instructive and so beneficial spiritually for us to read it and study it and to apply the lessons and principles that we see in our own lives. I ask you, Father, to help us to remember these things uh, and to do just that, that you would apply them to our hearts and, and to our lives. Lord, give us hearts when there's conviction to be quick to agree, to confess, and to look to you for grace to repent. Lord, we thank you uh, tonight for blessings that come with obedience Lord, I pray tonight that we take care to, to not look for blessings and, and demand blessings that we don't have any reasonable right or title to. Father, I thank you tonight for the blessing of salvation. Lord, any blessing beyond that is it's icing on the cake. We don't need it. But we thank you so much for the blessing of your provision. Uh, in our individual lives, in our families, certainly for our church. Lord, your provision for our church is nothing less than miraculous. We thank you for it. Father, pray you help us to keep short accounts with you that you might bless us. And Lord, as people look upon our blessed lives, I pray that we take every opportunity to give you the credit, to point people to you as the source of whatever blessings we have. Lord, thank you tonight again. The greatest blessing is salvation. Teach us to be grateful. 
Lord, I love you tonight. I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Zach, you come, please. All right, let's uh, stand as we turn to 548. 548, we'll sing more. Love to thee, number 548. Thank you. 